0: For this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Thank you, Christopher. Go ahead and be seated. Morning, everyone. I drove in late last night. I was up at the Great Falls Youth Rally. And it was a great spirit. We have a a bunch of our kids uh, went up to participate, and several of our adults and families are there as well to help make sure things go well this weekend, and uh, they'll be coming back this afternoon. But it's just great. I know that uh, I'm a product of of growing up here in Montana and participating with those youth rallies and how much it changed me. I know that. I've I've been there. And it's, it's neat to watch that continue, and these kids building relationships and hearing the message of God and hopefully building those spiritual foundations that last in eternity. And so that's a, that's a neat thing, and we can continue to pray for, for everyone to have a safe trip home, but most importantly for great spiritual changes and transformation to happen with, with young people uh, that are there participating. Okay, a couple of things coming up. This uh, next Sunday is uh, the, the Jewish Passover, what's called Easter. And so this is a great time where people oftentimes uh, that will set foot in a church building that will not do it any other time. And so, look around at your friends and family, and and see who you can invite to come and participate this next week, and um, and hear the message of God. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus is the best news that's ever happened to this world, and we're going to talk about that this next week. And um, and who knows what type of you know, seeds can be planted or hearts can be touched. And so that's a uh, something I encourage all of us is look around you, see who you can invite, and and bring people with us as we uh, we come and and we worship God next week. Also. Starting April 8th, we'll start this process of uh, working through appointing uh, some more elders to serve in the church here. I've been, uh, for the last two months, walking through uh, qualities and, and what elders are supposed to look like from Scripture. And so there is a timeline of how we're going to go through this process, and there'll be more details coming along as we go along. But on the, the, right in the foyer, right when you walk in on the table there, there's a, a timeline of how we're going to go through that process. So you uh, can look get, get a sheet there. It's the same one that was in the, the church newsletter here a couple of weeks ago. And if you have any questions, there's some names on there you can ask, and uh, we'll fill you in. And uh, this is a process, again, that I keep praying for, and all of us are going through this together. This isn't just a few of people that are, that are deciding this or that. This is, as a church, we come to consensus and we walk together and are going to ask uh, some, some men to serve as shepherds uh, for the church here. So that's something we can, again, keep praying for and and we'll walk through this process together. All right, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Oh, left the clicker over here, excuse me. Yeah, I better have that, that's right. The clicker, here we go. Okay, starting in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read through some of these qualities again here. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, Faithful to his wife, temperate, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Okay, go ahead and turn to Titus, chapter 1. And there's a similar description here, okay? When we think about qualities or qualifications, what we're thinking about is, is a painting, okay? Not so much a checklist, but a painting. The reason I left you in Crete, excuse me, Titus 1, verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm message, as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Okay, how many of you have, at times, walked through life and misunderstood something or it took a while to get something through your head? Or did you just nail things immediately, got it all figured out? Yeah, okay. Well, I'll, I'll share an example. And remember, when we talk about these qualities of elders, the overarching quality is... The elder is to be above reproach. The idea that if you throw something Velcro, it does not stick. There's charges that are leveled against a person; they just don't stick because the person has chosen to live a life that is above reproach. Okay, so think about this. This example, talking about evolving and understanding and, and confusion and such like that. If you have, if you ever feel like um, you you have, you really wrestle with feeling out of place or feeling like um, humiliated or something like that, what I encourage you to do is move to another country where they do not speak English and try to learn the language. It is the most humiliating thing I've ever done in my entire life because I went from being able to speak and communicate with people to realizing that, oh man, wait a minute, I can't even say hi to people and I'm not even sure what, where to start in this. And there's all sorts of things that you say that are wrong. And, and I think I've told the story before. Once I, I tried to pray to God, thank you for the gifts that you give us. And I prayed, thank you for the women that you give us. And, of course, everybody laughed. They thought it was great. You know, that kind of thing. But it didn't sound that much different to me, but I had to wrestle through that. One time, again, meeting with the church, I was uh, sharing some words for the Lord's Supper. And then for the collection, and instead of saying collection, I said breakfast. And they made sure that they... They made a huge deal about that, that I did not know the correct word for collection, and and, uh, that was good times. But I remember one thing that I, it was one of those evolving understandings. Something about the Italian language that we do not have, um, and two things come into play here, is I remember when I first started studying Italian, thinking, wait a minute, there's masculine and feminine words words are just words you know what's all this about that you have masculine words and feminine words and how am i supposed why are why are words gender specific you know that's that's crazy and there's not really any rhyme or reason for that and also in italian in common language they have a formal tense that you use for somebody who is like from the older generation when you want to show respect what you say is like if i was going to address gary gary what would she like to drink for, for lunch, and just think how that sounds for us. It sounds strange. We use a similar form, like but we only use it with royalty, like her majesty that 's the same idea you 're talking to a person who is right here, but it sounds like you're you're referring to her over here somewhere and I remember uh, being in in group situations and somebody would would say something like what what and it 's always feminine when the 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 formal tense is always feminine like would talk with me and say, "What would she like to drink I'm like Who are you talking to? Are you talking to her over there? No, she. And you look right at me. And remember, it was just tough for me to try to get my mind around. And if you're confused right now, I lived in that cloud for months. Okay, That's where I live, trying to figure out who on earth are they talking to and what are they talking about, because this is not how my language works and it's different. But I had to wrestle and grow to understand the context of what was being spoken to me because it was different. And I think this is maybe more true for when we talk about elders and, and their families more than any other part of this section, is that uh, for myself and maybe for many of us, uh, we come to the table with some preconceived ideas. And, and with Bible study and understanding and stepping back, maybe we come to a, a greater and a more clear understanding of what God intended for us to understand here. Okay, so what two things I want to share with you is... I've told you before that I've never finished a sermon. Sunday just comes around, I've got to share it, okay? There's never a time where I think, okay, I've got this package finished, I have no more work to do on this. It's always something in process. And for th- that's very true for today. And again, if you quote me, then date me, because I, as I evolve and, and and grow in my understanding, then that's going to uh, that may change and mature as we go along. But this morning, what we're going to walk through is is elders and their, their families. And what is that supposed to look like? Because you see descriptions of, of, of the relationship with wives and children, and how do we go about that? And I can tell you for myself, in the last months as I've walked through this, is that my understanding has matured quite a bit, I hope. And I'll share that with you, and, um, and we'll, we'll start this discussion here. Hey, what we see, first of all, is that there is, in both Timothy and Titus, the relationship that an elder has with her with his wife is very important, and the term that is used here is one woman man. Okay, this is this is okay. This is where we get ourselves in trouble sometimes because this isn't what's called an idiomatic. Experience. All right, and so this is uh, when we there's all sorts of you know, fly by night Greek, Greek scholars that will look at this and say, Hey, wait a minute, one woman man that means man who has been married. One person for life, this is it. That's that's what this is this is specifically referring to. Okay, we'll go through this because there's a whole lot of some misunderstandings that are here. Okay, just think about it in terms like this. If we tell somebody the the phrase I've used, they need to have their ducks in a row, okay, we know what that means. They gotta have their stuff together. But if someone half a world away hears that phrase and and tries to put their ducks in a row, it might look different, right? Because they might try to get their ducks and make them all walk in a row, and if their ducks aren't walking in a row, you know, th- that, those type of expressions tend to, to create problems for us sometimes. And so, what does this mean when Timothy and Titus, as Paul writing to both of them, says, an elder is to be a one woman man? Sometimes the question has been, is this something that is preventing polygamy? So, a, a man needs to be married to one woman, can't have many wives. Okay, in the Roman world, they did not practice this. And so thinking that this is what Paul is speaking about, he's, it would be assuming that Paul is referring to something that didn't even happen in the secular world around, or, or the pagan world around, uh, the the people that he's writing. And so probably not specifically what Paul's referring to, although we do see this in Scripture. That is true, is that as godly people, we're, we're supposed to be married. Uh, one man, one woman is supposed to be how it's supposed to function. All right, how about, what, here's another possibility. One woman, man, what does that mean? Uh, requiring living spouses. Um, here's the, the problem we run into. Go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy. Remember, there's three big rules of biblical interpretation. You remember what they are? Context, context, context. There's more than that. But that get the idea across this. We've got to look at what we're what we're studying right here. Okay, if you turn the page from where we're at, go to chapter 5, verse 9. Okay, this is a description of how to what to do with widows that are in the church and how to take care of them. Okay, in the process there, or in the discussion here in chapter 5, verse 9, it says, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds. And this is, and it continues on from there. But the discussion is these, putting widows on a list so the church takes care of them and they do good works in the church. That's the idea. That's the context here. And so looking at that, here you see, um, you know where it says, in the translation I'm reading from, it says, um, she must be over 60, has been faithful to her husband. The literal translation is a one-man woman. Okay. So what is what elders are called to be in chapter 3 is exactly the same as what widows are called to be in chapter 5. It's the same phrase that is used there. And so I doubt any of us would say that in order to be put on the list of widows, they need to have a living spouse. Would we say that? Yeah, probably not. It kind of defeats the whole purpose of the context there. And so the point here is that the widows, that their husband has passed away, she needs to have been one who is very clearly, it was clear to everyone who she was married to when her husband was alive. And she provided a good example for that, and therefore the church should take care of her so that she can do good works in the church. That's the idea there. Okay. Also, again, one woman, man, does that prohibit uh, second marriages? Uh, I've heard you know, this discussion come up, and, and we wrestle through this here. Uh, you know, if, if someone was was married before they became a Christian, then became a Christian and married somebody else, does that exclude them from being from functioning as an elder? And again. Let's go back to the widow's discussion here. If, if there was a situation here, and we had a widow that was, was known for, for great works, I wonder if we would say, well, we're not going to take care of her because her first husband died, she was married again, and then that husband passed away because she married more than one wife. You see, I doubt we would do that. And so, but sometimes when we come to this discussion here in 1 Timothy and Titus, is we look at this phrase, one woman, man, we take our English perspective and look at it and say, all right, we know exactly literally what that means, but that may not have been what they understood here at all. But pretty, if we look at this in context, this, I believe, is a call for fidelity. There would be no question regarding this elder's faithfulness to his wife and his marriage is to be an example for others. That's, that's what Paul's getting at here. That's what Paul's looking for. And so just to give some, some things to think about here, if we talk about someone who is who is faithful, uh, a person who, is, who has lived a godly life, uh, has, has a wife that passes away and and remarries, the text does not eliminate that person from serving as a shepherd in God's church. The text doesn't show it. You don't see that here. Or, for example, you know, this one's more difficult. We'd have to wrestle with a little bit more. You know, what if someone is, is a, you know, a young person and, and is married and a young man is married and wife leaves and runs off with somebody else. They remarry somebody in the Lord and for 30 years have a godly marriage that demonstrates godliness all the way across. You know, when we look at Scripture here, we look at the text, there's, the text does not eliminate that situation, okay, we look at those situations case by case, and maybe in this, here's the wisdom of God. We get ourselves in trouble when we can, when we can count in Scripture. For example, you look at the the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Jews, boy, they had those dialed. They had those nailed. So they thought. Until we get to the Sermon on the Mount, look at Luke or Matthew five through seven. Jesus walks through piece by piece of the Ten Commandments and says, "All right, you've heard that it was said." Do not murder. But guess what? You've missed it. You still missed it. Even though this is simple and can count. And sometimes we get ourselves in those situations uh, spiritually. Is is we 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 miss the bigger picture? Okay. Also, um, but but maybe what Paul is really getting at here is think about this. If someone has been been married to um, a wife for maybe a number of years, they're still married. But there's real questions about if this guy has eyes for only his wife. And he seems to be flirty. There's ladies in the church that get an uncomfortable feeling like he just, there's something weird going on here that I'm not sure what, how to put my finger on that. I believe that's what Paul's talking about here, is that there is, here's a man that does not show godliness in his marriage because he has got eyes for, for other ladies, um, and and this and, and because of that, the marriage is suffering and is not a good example for all the rest of us. And so all that to say is, is, I believe the people reading this originally, that's where they would have gone immediately. That's what they would have understood is this is a person who is going to serve as, as an elder in the church. He's got to demonstrate he loves his wife and, and he's got eyes for her. And it's no question in anybody's mind who he's married to. Okay, let's continue on here. Uh, let's go to, um, there's another description that is given here. Manages, and the term is stands in front. Okay, Again, that's an idiomatic expression. I don't think uh, we, would, we would think badly of a person as they're walking in the, the, the door of the church building this morning if the, the family walks in and the husband walks in behind everybody else. We wouldn't think, oh, he's not standing in front of his family. How dare him! You know, terrible guy. We wouldn't think that because we understand this is an idiomatic expression, just like we, that Paul uses with, with one woman, man, one man, woman. That's a, an expression that they understood. Okay, but Paul tells here tells the people here in Timothy, um, you want a person who manages or stands in front of his family well. Okay, so because how a person, how a man manages his family. Shows a whole lot about how he's going to manage God's church. There is a uh, sometimes our tendency uh, is to to appoint people to to leadership roles in the church that are successful in business or successful in their jobs or successful in other areas of life. And I believe what we see here is that God cares much much more deeply about the type of dad that I am to my family than how successful I am in the business I may run. Huge thing for us to consider there. Uh, in that there is a. I got one chance with my family, um, and and God calls me to to be the man that I'm I'm supposed to be, and so maybe the what we should consider is is how do I, as a, as a man, how do I interact with my family, and how do I manage my family? Am I a dad that is that is absent all the time, and and they're not my kids are not getting much spiritual nourishment or guidance from me because I'm chasing after this, I'm chasing after that, or or, or maybe I'm overly harsh or something like that. But you see, I think what God is, is angling for here is that a person who is, has made sure that they understand what's most important is the spiritual well-being of leading their family to Christ. And, and sometimes we can get confused on that, and again, we uh, look for people who are really successful in, in other areas of life, which is fine, that's great, but let's not forget what God has called us as dads to, to do, is to, to lead our family and to manage our family honorably continues here is a, a relationship with with children see that his children obey him this is in Timothy okay now again i think we see the wisdom of god here because there's a question that what does the term respect refer to okay we see the god sometimes i think he doesn't give us the specifics we want because he wants us to wrestle and wants us to think bigger picture here okay so There's two possible readings depending on on how a person um, understands what respect is referring to. Okay, reading one, see that his children obey him with proper respect. So the burden is on the children. The children must obey. Uh, The second reading would read like this. See that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Do you see the difference there? The second reading puts the burden on the father to do so in a way that is honorable and respectable. And as I pondered this, something I, I know that some, a wise person told me, and I uh, hopefully apply this, is that I know with my children, I can get good behavior out of them by being harsh, by being critical, and by uh, just imposing my will in a way that is that is. Like Christopher read here just a minute ago from from Ephesians, fathers don't exasperate your children but train them up in instruction of the Lord. I can exasperate my children into good behavior and they can look really, really good from the outside. But what's the problem? I'm not leading them. I'm not leading them. I'm just pushing this good behavior on them, not allowing them to wrestle and grow and stretch to be the people that God wanted them to be. And... Oftentimes, if I do that and I continue that throughout, what happens eventually? Kids are going to try to get out of my house as fast as possible and do whatever they want because I've had my hand on them heavy. Instead of training and growing them instruction of the Lord like God has done for me, I have tried to take the shortcut and and been been hard on them. I think that's something for us to consider in this, is that there is, when we read this, Let's not put all the burden on the fathers to make sure that the kids obey, or, or all the burden on the children to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be. Children are children. And, and sometimes we, we all want our children to behave in a different way than we would want. But am I, being the dad that I need to be, in helping my children grow up in instruction of the Lord and see the love of God? You see the difference there? I think that's something that all of us should consider, no matter who we are. And that's what God calls us to be, is people who are... And men and, and people who who do things whatever it is in manner in, in the right way in the respectful ways and respectful manners okay let 's continue on. Um, relationship with children. Titus talks about elders to have children who are faithful, okay. So the term faithful, if you look at the, the most widely used Greek dictionary, this is what it says. That which evokes trust and faith, the state of being someone to whom confidence can be placed. Faithfulness, reliability, fidelity, and commitment. Okay, that's the term faithfulness there. Go ahead and look at that and think about that, because that's going to be important for what we walk through next. Okay. So relationship with his children. The question is, it says children who are faithful, but it doesn't give specifics in the way that Titus is written to, to who they're faithful to. And so you'll have some translations that will read like this, understanding that this means that children grow up and they are faithful to God. In other words, Christian or believing children. And some translations will say that. Others will say, understand this to be because of the context, refer to faithfulness not to God necessarily, but to the Father, meaning Children who are obedient. And then you see the context here not open to the charge of being wild or unable to save or disobedient. And so the question here is, is what is Paul referring to? And maybe this this ambiguity is exactly what God is angling for, because if we if we look at it just from the perspective of a person must have children that grow up their life to Christ, are baptized and live faithfully. And if a child somewhere along the line uh, decides to, uh, to walk away from God, that calls into question what happens in the home. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough road to go down. And I'll talk about why that is here in just a minute. But another you know, very faithful reading of this is children who are faithful in who they are, faithful to their father, or obedient children. In other words, the father walks through life, and you look at his family and say, yeah, those are good kids, those are great kids, because he manages his family well, and that's an example for all of us. Okay? I don't think either one of these readings is exclusive one or the other, but hopefully we look at both of them. Okay? But, what, but I, what, what's important to understand is, is sometimes I, I've seen this as well, is we look at this passage and we, we say, well, okay, all the children need to be baptized. If they're not, then we've got a problem that's that's looking beyond what the text shares with us here okay? we we it, it's hard to camp on that because there's what paul shares is is uh, is as the children to be faithful okay to to the father to god that's what we understand um, I think we need to to show some some grace and mercy in some of that okay now there is uh i know for for all of us, I'm sure, we're, we wrestle with, okay, there's, maybe I'm, some of you are thinking, yeah, that's what I've always thought. You know, no big deal. Maybe some of us are, are reorganizing our thoughts or trying to restudy through now and, and rethinking like, like I am, uh, which is great. Um, there is, if, if whatever I share with you is, is what you already understand and already agree with, then I'm not challenging you or myself to go higher and understand what God wants of us. Um, because that's where the, how the, the message of God works. Jesus, on a regular basis, worked to call people higher, and in their understanding. But when we look at these these qualities of how an elder is to to be with his wife and 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 how his he's to, to be with his children, there's a few things I think that's important for us to consider. Okay, and be very careful of. Is number one, it's important not to impose standards that they. Can't. Because God doesn't do that for us. And there's, with my children, my hope and my prayer, and I hope that I do everything I can in the next years. And boy, the clock's ticking fast, it seems. Sarah's 13. She's at the youth rally. She's a teenager. And oh my, here we go. (sighs) Pray for me. She's great. But I know that in a few years, she's going to leave the home and, and launch... And I'm excited for that because I know that God has called me to raise her and my son to not be at home forever, but to, be, to launch, to be God's soldiers in this world. And I want that for them. And I hope that as they go on, that they choose to follow God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm going to give them the best foundation I can in order to do that. I pray that I do that. And I pray that I stay out of the way and let God work. And Sylvia and I are great examples in that. But I know that for myself, if I decided at this point in my life, to turn away from God, to do something different, and to reject God, that's really not a reflection on my parents. I hope nobody would would make that a reflection on my parents because on some level, I have free will. I have a foundation that that I've been given spiritually. I could blame anybody I wanted to, but ultimately, I am responsible for what I do. And sometimes, I've seen churches approach this process with men who who are... who the church asks to become elders. And there's criticism because of decisions that adult children have made. And, and it really is something that is far out of the father's control. And that's something I hope we're gracious and we think, we think about that and we pray through that. Number two, let's be careful not to impose a standard on elders that God himself cannot attain. What I mean is, when you read through the Old Testament... Uh, Isaiah chapter one mentions this, but you see it in other places as well. Is God? I think God provided a pretty good example to to Israel, don't you think? Yeah, God provided a great example to Israel. He he blessed them. He brought them up out of Egypt. He he shared with them his nature. He talked about who he was. He gave them manna. We could talk about all sorts of things. God's if there's a perfect example, could we say that God is that? Absolutely. But you see in the prophets, over and over, God saying, wasn't I a good father to you? Didn't I do my job? Why on earth did you go follow these other gods? What on earth is that about? And so let's make sure that we don't hold people that are in process to a standard that God himself cannot attain. You see what I mean by that? Okay, That's just something for us to think and pray through in this this, uh, process as we go through. Now, for all of us, there's some great things for us to learn here. Hopefully all of us have been learning through this. But being above reproach with our families, something that's important is that there is no question who we're married to. Okay? If you're married, then let's make sure that we give our best to our spouses and that we are not, um, not flirting with people or, or involved with people that we shouldn't be. That we're a, a tremendous example for the rest of the world. That's what God calls all of us, and the elders are the examples among us that 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 live that way. Um, also, we're called to manage our families honorably and respectfully. Uh, there is a um, a book that uh, I read here a while back, and and uh, there's a men's group that I've been meeting with that we're we're ta- reading through a book that talks about uh, being a good father, and um, one of the the phrases that um, there was. It wasn't in this book, but I, I talked about it the last, last time we met. There's a book called Deep Survival, and it's not a spiritual book at all. Okay, So if you choose to read it, it's not spiritual. There's some things that are really interesting to glean from it. But basically what it does is it talks about why why do some people survive catastrophes in life and others don't? And why does a plane wreck that happens in the Amazon uh, and a 12-year-old, a plane wreck happens, a 12-year-old girl walks out 10 days later by herself because she just follows the river down and survives. And on the other hand, there's a, a shipwreck and there's uh, these huge football players, you know, tough men's men that die after a couple of days and, and aren't able to survive even though they have the resources to do so. Why is that there? What's, what's different there? And what came up is one of the common denominators with survivors is, and the phrase was used, is be here now. <laughs> survivors have a tendency to be able to say, all right, whatever happened in the past, I can't change it. Whatever's going to happen in the future, I can't control. But right now, what can I do in order to, to do what I need to do in order to survive? And living as a, as a person of God, hopefully I approach my family that way. Is there's all sorts of things that I can dream about that someday maybe this is the case or or I can feel bad about not being as patient with my children as I I should be and not demonstrating godliness in that. But the rubber really meets the road by me deciding right now what am I going to do in order to be the man of God. And I'm going to do it right now. Be here now. And hopefully spiritually that's something that we do. Um, Fathers, uh, I know that yeah, there's this one shot with our kids. And there's, there's time to, to, to pursue all sorts of stuff later. Um, but I hope that all of us who have kids at home right now, we give our best that we have right now to making sure that we can be the example that we can be. Um, that's for me. I'm preaching to myself and for all of us is, is more than being successful in business or successful in anything else, make sure that we are the dads that God wants us to be. Mothers... Uh, everybody okay also hang on oh no what did i just do there's something else really profound i was gonna throw up here oh well no the last one i had there is is guide our children to have respect for god and their families and do so in a way that's that's honorable okay that's uh that's something for all of us and um, if you do not have families yet then prepare yourself to be the person that god wants you to be and work on that every day. Be here now and, and decide. It's a mistake to think, well, someday I want to be this person so that I can be a good mother or, or I can be a good wife or be a good husband. That starts right now. Now, there's, there's lots of diets that we can go on. And someday I want to be on such and such diet. How much does it do good for me right now? Zero is deciding right now i 'm going to be that person, or if you have launched your kids, then be an example to the rest of us. Uh, show us how to do it, teach us how to do it and and share your wisdom and, and share your time and examples uh, to help us all understand what what it means to be a person who who leads their their children to love god okay that is a it 's a high calling for all of us, my prayer is as we Look to appoint shepherds here in the next while. We see this picture of of men who love their wives. There's no question who they're married to. And they manage their families honorably and provide an example for all of us. And wherever we are along that spectrum, what we can do is be here now. What I can do right now is honor God with where I'm at. And I hope that's good news for all of us and that we do a little better and walk in God's grace a little more today than we did yesterday and tomorrow more than we do today and live out this life of faith together as a, as a church family. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers the church, the elders, myself, will be in the back, and we'll be glad to talk with you and pray with you. Let's stand and sing together.